Welcome back to Your Ag Empire, where we roll up our sleeves, dig in the dirt, and uncover the secret to success in the world of agriculture. I'm your host, Jonathan Harrelson, a Texas farmer and rancher, farm risk consultant, and commodity coach. New episodes drop on Wednesdays on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, and we'd be honored to have you as a subscriber. Sadie Lackey is a University of Georgia graduate, a political junkie, an agriculture advocate, and a stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. Her day job is working for a commodity trade association, but in her free time, she serves as the executive director for the 118 Foundation. 118 serves young people ages 18 to 39 who are overcoming cancer by providing them financial assistance, grants, and other support. The 118 Foundation is committed to young people's comeback from cancer and leading them to the restoration, refuge, and freedom they desperately deserve. Welcome, Sadie. Hey, how are you? We're glad to have you. Sadie, by day, you're a manager of grassroots advocacy and leadership development at the National Corn Growers Association. Tell me about your career path. And how you got here? Yeah, it's a bit a bit windy, I would say. So I didn't grow up on a farm, but I got my hands dirty every chance I could. My grandparents both both sets had hobby farms. I showed my grandpa's hogs all through middle school and high school. Super active in FFA. And when I got to college, I went to the university. Well, I went to Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College as a junior college, and transferred to the University of Georgia. And um, I studied agricultural communications and knew that I just, if I couldn't be in the cab of a tractor, I wanted to help out those who could. Uh, so I really felt my calling was to come up to D.C. I did an internship on Capitol Hill with a member of the House Ag Committee and decided that this is where I wanted to be. And so I started out height of COVID in 2020. That's when I graduated, moved up here. I I never laid eyes on the apartment that we signed the lease on. I found <laughs> two other girls to live with um, that I met on Facebook, but I knew they were fine because they both studied agricultural communication. So they had to be good. Right. Um, but we're some, some of the best friends now just moved up here completely blind, worked at the USDA for a little bit at, in the office of partnerships and public engagement. We got to do a lot of really great work around COVID relief getting folks some food, getting some farmers some relief in that time. It was great work. It was cut a little short. Had to move over to the Senate. And I worked in uh, press. I worked in communications there. And then flopped over to the House where I worked in policy. Let me give you a, a bit of a standard here in D.C. People change jobs constantly. And it's it's the weirdest culture up here. But everyone's constantly popping around either because your boss lost an election, which has happened to me. Or because you just need a bigger, better opportunity. This is the land of opportunity. But anyways, after I spent some time in the house, I decided I wanted to do a deeper dive into ag policy where my heart was and moved over here to the National Corn Growers Association where I help out with grassroots advocacy, leadership development. I get to help with our political action committee as well as just pick up any issues that we need a hand with, get into lobbying on a whole swath of issues in the ag industry, which is what I was really hoping for. That's how I got here. (laughs) That's great. Well, so, I mean, working with, with members of Congress or the Senate, I mean, 
what is the most stressful aspect of the job? I think, and, and this goes, this goes both in former jobs and current jobs. No matter what your position is in DC, when you work in government relations, your job is to make sure the people that you're working for are best prepared. Mm-hmm. And so when that was in over on Capitol Hill, those were elected officials. And I prepared in the Senate press, making sure the boss's comments were sharp, making sure he knew what he was walking into. On the House side, when I was working in policy, making sure my boss knew the issues. You know, if we were on a farm tour, making sure he understood what we were walking into and good questions to ask. So it's always about making sure that your boss is prepared. Now at the Corn Growers Association, especially working in grassroots advocacy, you know, we're meeting, I, I see it two different ways. We're, we're meeting farmers where they're at to make sure they understand the walkiness of the policy. But we're also helping them build confidence in knowing that they are the expert in the room. And mm-hmm. whenever they walk into a Senate or House office, they're there to teach. They're not there to, to take orders or to listen or to be hesitant around an elected official. They are there to teach and share their stories. And so I think that's the biggest stressor is just making sure that all questions are answered and that you know everyone's next step. And so the person that you are working for and representing is best prepared. Absolutely. Did, did you feel like you were making a difference? I think so. I think so. And this is, this is a good story. So I worked for <laughs> a, a member in lower out Al- that represents lower Alabama. I'm mm-hmm. from North Georgia. And so I, I fit in, I, I fit in anywhere in the South. I feel like. And so I, I worked for a member in lower Alabama and a couple of months after I had transitioned from that job, I got a Facebook message from um, a woman in Foley, Alabama, asking mm-hmm. if I was going to be with my boss at his town hall. And so the difference that I think that I made is that I became, even after I transitioned out of that job, I became a trusted source for constituents and for people in lower Alabama. So they know that if they have any questions, if they have any problems, or if they need to be in contact with a congressman, they know who to call. And that's enough of a difference for me, knowing that people have confidence in who they elected and knowing that they can reach them and that they can work with their staff. Sure. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I, I think being being a trusted source there uh, is huge. And I mean, you've obviously built yeah. a lot of relationships uh, moving up. Now, we've got to talk about one of your past bosses. OK, and I'm going to call him the original OG because he he is uh, Senator Kennedy. I mean, we've all seen the pressers. Is he exact? Is he like he is on camera in the office? He is an incredible person. He is smart and witty and and just so intelligent. And I I really enjoyed working for him. And I've learned so much from that office and from his ability to communicate with people in a straightforward fashion and understanding where we're all at, not just the folks in D.C., but where everyone is at. Um, and, And that experience, I think, has helped me be able to communicate with different types of people and, and different mm-hmm. from different regions, from different walks of life. Um, I, I think it's so funny. I have friends who are blue as blue can be. They are mm-hmm. dire Democrats who will come up to me and say, man, your, your old boss said something hilarious <laughs> on TV. 
but he's right. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he is right. Um, and so I just, I love that he is able to communicate across the political spectrum and make people think. And so, um, yeah, no, he's very genuine, very kind, that entire office. Um, he employs, I mean, I'm not <laughs> bragging on myself, hear me out, but he employs the best of the best because sure. in my opinion, he is one of the best communicators in this town. Uh, that's what I, that's what I can appreciate. I've, I've noticed yeah. blur the lines. It doesn't matter blue or red. He, uh, he'll say it in a simplistic form, but everybody in the room sitting there going, you know, he's right. That That is, that is correct. He's on the right track. Yeah. Uh, they may not agree with where he's headed with it, but, <laughs> but overall he's on the right track. So, yeah. So how important is it for farmers and ranchers I mean, to to be actively engaged in the political process. Um, I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's it's a daunting, um, overwhelming. You know, we look at it. Are our voices actually heard? Yeah. I mean, and so to kind of wrap up two, I guess, two questions in one. Do you feel like farmers and ranchers have more attacking them or their industry uh, outside of their turn rows, so to speak? Mm -hmm versus what's what they're dealing with on the farm? That's a really good question. To your first part, I would say it's not important. It's critical. Um, if you don't tell your story, somebody else is. And so whenever I was able to step into this role and really start to work with growers, and I, I'll, I'll lead with this. I think that farmers and ranchers are the smartest people on this earth. Like I truly do. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that to suck up to you. I 100% think that they are the smartest most versatile folks on the earth. If And again, if they don't tell their story and if they don't have the confidence in their elected officials to go to them and say, this, this, this is happening. It's a real wonky issue. Can I explain it to you? Then that knowledge is not being passed on to the correct people. There has to be a flow of knowledge from the folks who are in the field to the folks that are in DC or mm -hmm things are going to go right. And we see that time and time again in DC where I think we get so upset when we're back home at our County Farm Bureau meetings at our, at our district meetings, we get so upset about what's going on. And someone gave me some good advice a long time ago. And I don't mean this harsh and the slightest, but if you didn't vote, you can't complain. If you're sure. not bringing, if you're not emailing your congressman or congresswoman, if you're not calling these offices, you can't complain. We are so blessed to live in a country to where we can reach out mm -hmm. to our elected officials and we a hundred percent should. Um, and so I would, it's critical. It's not just important. It's critical. It, it is a must that farmers speak up, talk about what's going on on the farm. I do not understand <laughs> everything that the people that I serve go through. Um, and I, I, I certainly don't understand the technicalities. We were just talking about this, about, markets and prices and everything else but for every person in dc we will try if you come mm -hmm. and talk to us about it um and so it's critical to that point uh to the to the other half of your question here i would say yes there, there are decisions that are made. There's legislation put forth and half of working in government relations is blocking the poison pills, is, is blocking the legislation that's going to hurt your people. Sure. So yes, there are 
and no one it's no one nothing's malicious right like no one's like oh man we we want to ban xyz pesticide you know because we want to hurt american farmers no <laughs> that's not the intent at all but there is a gap in understanding with a lot of the bad policies that pop up in dc there there is and mm-hmm. so one i want to tie that to the first part of this question call your congressman but two, trust organizations who are representing you and trust the, the commodity groups, trust the federations. Just there is a there is a association or organization for everything under the sun in this town. Mm-hmm. Find the ones that you think are doing good work. Put your time, put your resources to them and trust that they're up here fighting for you. If they're not. They work for you. I work for corn growers. And if they are not satisfied for, with what my shop is doing, they have every right to come and talk to me and talk to my team about it. So it is worth, one, getting involved and getting activated in grassroots advocacy, in politics. And it is also worth finding groups that you can trust to do that work for you because you don't have the time. Farmers and ranchers do not have the time to be lobbying on Capitol Hill. There's legitimately no way. Find groups that you trust. You know, Sadie, something that really stuck out to me early in my career, I was in my early 20s working for Farm Bureau and uh, uh, Ray Stoster. He's a rice producer in southeast Texas. He's he's recently passed. uh, Well, recently, it was a couple of years ago. Um, But Ray, I'll never forget, invited me down there. I hadn't been on a rice farm ever. Um, and we're, we're sitting there combining away and, uh, and it was interesting because Congressman Kevin Brady himself called and, and was talking to Ray about, you know, some impacts on the, you know, some, some legislation that, that he felt like was going to impact the rice producers. And, uh, I just, it was just, it stood out as I listened to that conversation, uh, how important it was for him to be that first contact. You know, and, and he told me, he said, he said, you know, Jonathan, you can't you have to be involved in the things that are going on because you're out here as a business person trying to make decisions that are going to impact your family for 10 years, 15 years, mm-hmm. 20 years. But you've got folks up there that are they've never been out here. They don't know what it's like to see this dirt, to till this dirt, to, to plow it, plant mm-hmm. it, to go through the process. And they don't understand what we're doing you know, for the next generations and the impacts we have for these communities. So I think it's, it's huge in my opinion. And, and you reiterated that exactly, um, you know, build that relationship up with those offices and, and with these organizations. I think it's huge. Let me give you a good example on that too. So I, uh, I, I took a phone call with, uh, a, a, guy who owns a lumber yard in South Alabama. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, this was probably about a year ago and he was just like, Hey, you know, I, I just, I want to be real for a second. I didn't call it a complaint. I didn't, I didn't call it a yell at anybody. Mm-hmm. I, this is what's going on. And I feel like this is the story will be, should be told. My input prices are so high. I can't keep work. I'm having to readjust insurance policies for my workers. I want them to have the best of the best, but I can't afford it. And he's like, I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what to do. So I took that phone call. I wrote up a memo for my boss and I said, Hey, sir, we got this call from a constituent and it's, it's pretty tough. I'd love for you to give him a call back and talk through what he's experiencing. And so my boss gave him a call back 
And not only did they talk through it and I felt like the congressman really understood what was going on, that person, the, the guy who owned the lumber yard, um, he went on to testify in the House Natural Resources Committee. And so I've, I've seen it work. Um, that testimony mm-hmm. was incredible. He was so well prepared. He was so truthful and honest. Um, so it works. If anyone, you know, questions that their voice is being heard, if what they're doing matters, it 100% works. At the end of the day, these folks over on Capitol Hill work for you. They work for you. And so you're doing, I agree with what you said. You're doing your family, you're doing your farm a little bit of a disjustice if you at least don't pick up the phone. Sure. Yeah. I think that's great. That's great. Well, it feels like a good time to hear from our sponsor who is making this podcast possible. The Dirt is a monthly membership that includes a weekly commodity-focused email, market update calls, and commodity text alerts. Use podcast for 50% off your membership when you subscribe at youragempire.com forward slash the dirt. So, Sadie, this month, January, you're launching the 118 Foundation. What is it and why? Yeah. Okay. So, let me give some backstory here. Um, last November, I was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin lymphoma. I was 25. If we do the math right, I'm now 26. Um, <laughs> but I'm a 26-year-old cancer survivor, which uh, is a rarity. Actually, there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of us, thank God, in the United States. But because of that, we have a whole unique set of challenges. We we don't look like other cancer survivors or cancer patients. Um, And in turn, this community is a bit underserved. Mm -hmm. Um, So the 118 Foundation was uh, a pat is a passion piece of mine from my experience with cancer. I, I just start off the bat here. I I'm a lemonade out of lemons kind of person. And whenever mm-hmm. I was diagnosed, I was like, I was searching for meaning. I was searching for something. I come up with all these crazy ideas, and then I got sick. Then mm-hmm. I got really really sick, and then I went into six months of treatment. Um, and and within that time, I had to step back. I had to step back and say, what is the purpose of this season? Is it to, I don't know. I I was searching for a mission. I was searching for something. Is it, is it to do something, you know, groundbreaking? Is it, is it to have some sort of ministry out of this or is it to heal? Like, like, what is it? And my brain didn't think my brain thought it had to be one or the other, but it's Mm -hmm. not. And I've, and I've figured out that a lot of things in life, you can set aside time to heal and time to grow and develop, but you can also invest in your calling. And so started out, I thought I had to do something, but turns out God was like, Hey, you need to take a break. You need to heal and you need to lean on your community right now. And so that's exactly what I did. I would say for the first three, four months of, of being sick and going through treatment, I, I went to the infusion center. I came home, I went to work. That was it. That was it. And that is not like me. I am not needing nothing all of the time. It's one of the reasons I love agriculture. This industry is filled with hardworking, innovative people. That's why I wanted to be part of it. But I had to slow down. And that was hard for me. Sure. And so I get into a routine of just investing in my healing and 
and letting the people around me love on me, which was tough. It's tough when you have to ask your best friend to vacuum your bedroom, but that's just where I was at. Um, and throughout that time, I'd, I'd never experienced such love and community and healing as I did. And in one of my darkest times, I was so loved and I was, and there was so much light around me, but I had to stop. <laughs> I had to slow down to let that happen. Sure. So I would say three months, halfway in. Yeah, I still have my eyebrows. Halfway in, <laughs> um, <laughs> I went to a discipleship conference. Uh, halfway into treatment with my boyfriend, my church put it on. I'm a Christian. He's a new believer to the faith. And so we're like, okay, let's go to this discipleship conference. We'll know everyone there. Um, everyone will kind of respect what's going on with me. And at the same time, he'll he'll get to learn. There was a speaker who was a coach and also the dad of a former Minnesota Vikings football player. Anyways, he was excited to meet him. He was excited to meet the coach um, and also learn about Jesus. And so we go there. I'm not expecting anything. I'm there to hang out. I'm working off of three brain cells, really. I don't really have much to offer. Um, And the whole discipleship conference was about your calling and outside of work. And I, again, I, I'm not really thinking through anything. I'm just thinking through like your healing, like you're in treatment. But, like that's where my mind, that's where I was at, like I mentioned. And in the last session, I was taking notes, I opened up my, my notebook and I just like, I just started writing down ideas and I was like, oh, a foundation. And then it just poured out of me in that last session. I couldn't tell you what, what the guy talked about. And I had all these plans on paper and I was like, am I supposed to do this? Is this like what we're doing right now? I'm, you know, hanging on by a limb, but is this the purpose? Is this what I was trying to figure out in the beginning? Absolutely. And so I gave myself space to heal, space to figure out what happened. And, and God plopped this idea in my head at the perfect time. And I think what's really cool about faith and, and I'll say, you know, I know maybe not all of your listeners are faith-filled people. They may not believe in Jesus, they may not jive with Jesus, and that's okay. But it is so important when rubber hits the road and you're facing something hard that you believe in something outside of this world. A meteor could hit the earth tomorrow, and the only thing on this that would be left is the roaches. You can't put your faith in roaches. You can't. (laughs) Because when something as tough as cancer comes knocking on your door, you need spiritual help. You need you need something outside of this world. God had given me healing and peace and space to where when I had this idea, I could execute it. I was at a space where I could do it. And so it's called the 118 Foundation. It's named after a verse that I said over and over again during treatment, Psalm 118, 24. Uh, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I said that verse every day through gritted teeth. It didn't matter how mad I was, how upset I was. I said it. Sure. And so the 118 Foundation serves young people ages 18 to 39. This community is called the AYA or Adolescent Young Adult Community. Um, we serve folks 18 to 39 to help them overcome cancer and meet them where they're at with their specific challenges. I can spend 30 minutes talking about the specific challenges of young people with cancer, but sure. I think everyone's been you know, in the spot of like, you're young, you're taking risks, you're building a family, you're building a career, you're taking big financial risks, you're taking big career moves because you can, because you're young and you're building something. But when you get cancer, you have to stop all of that. You have to take a pause. It's all put on pause. And so this foundation 
aims to help uh, young people who are facing cancer or who have overcome cancer find restoration, refuge, and restore trust in their lives. And we do that through um, giving out financial assistance grants. And so they're called restoration grants. You'll get a check and that money will be used to reinvest in your life. And so right now, let's say, you know, it's a, it's a cancer, a current cancer patient. They could use it to help hire a nanny for their children so that they can have some rest when they come home. They can use it to uh, offset transportation costs for going to treatments. They can use it to go on a weekend getaway because their mind and their soul needs some rest. Yeah. And so needs it. Exactly. Outside of, you know, buying a Chanel handbag, you can use <laughs> the money for what you need. Sure. We believe that, you know, we, we call on three concepts in this foundation, hope, humility, and complete healing. And those are three concepts that Jesus personified while walking on the earth. And we really want to invest in individuals having that complete healing experience, not just of your body, because your doctors have got that. Jesus and Big Pharma's got that. We're talking about your spiritual and mental and emotional health as well. Um, so that's a bit. There's a lot more. That's my elevator speech. Sure, <laughs> but sure, that's kind sure. of the genesis and, and what we're working on. Okay. I I mean that's a that's quite the undertaking to, you know be diagnosed with cancer and to start that foundation. That's a lot. It's Um, a lot. It's a lot. This next question, I want to, one, I want our listeners to close your eyes and I want you to listen to these words and, and look at what your life, what you have going on right now and imagine that you get the, the doctor that says it's cancer. And I want you to take it in. I want you to think about how that would impact your life. And you, you were too young for cancer. I mean, really. So Mm -hmm. when you hear that from a doctor, I mean, give me some perspective. Like, where did your mind immediately go whenever that happened? I think your listeners will really resonate with this. Um, I feel like I can work myself out of any problem. I feel like if I work hard enough and if I have all my ducks in a row, I I can overcome anything. And so I I remember I was in the hallway. I was in the bathroom, actually, because I knew what the phone call was about, of the Longworth House office building in the middle of the workday. And when I got the call, I took it in, asked a few questions. And then I was like, I need to go home and I need to organize my closet. And I need to clean the house. I need to balance my checkbook. I need to make some phone calls. I need to do this, 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 and this. I need to catch up on all my work because I'm going to have to go through treatment. And I need to make sure that, you know, everyone's prepared and everyone's taken care of. That's where my head went. I thought I could work myself out of it. I thought I just need to put in some elbow grease, get in a good like workout plan. And, and I would just, I would, I would grit my teeth and get through it. Yeah. Some way it'll it'll just go away. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> um, and and it took me a long time. I, I I realized now that that was that awful pride boat talking. Absolutely. Yep. Thinking that I could fix it. And so after I realized that I couldn't organize, clean, or work myself out of cancer, I hit my knees and I started praying. And it, it was a slow progression of I told my family and those closest to me. The next mm-hmm. people I told 
for my church community were the faith leaders of my life. And I was like, we got to start ringing heaven's phones off the hooks. This is, mm-hmm. this is what we have to do. And from that point on, I got really sick. I got really sick. I was never as sick from treatment as I was when I, when the cancer was attacking my body. Um, and that's when I realized I can't do anything like this is, this is God's problem. This is something that God is going to have to intervene on. And so I, I think, you know, first, of course, we're going to think of, okay, what can I do to fix it? But once you realize you can't fix it, who do you call? Where do you go? Mm -hmm. What is beyond what you can do that can fix this problem? And for me, that was God in my community. So your faith, uh, I mean, that, that's what, that's what kept you grounded. A hundred percent. In this, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I, you know, I wasn't a minute miracle. God didn't snap his fingers and the cancer go away. I sure. was, uh, I like to say I was a crop pot miracle. I yep. had to, I had to endure um, the healing from, from the life-saving poison they were pumping into my veins. I had to endure that. I had to learn a lot. Um, but it was a miracle nonetheless. And it was God who carried me through it. I had unexplainable peace through all of it. Um, mm-hmm. And people were so shocked by that. I'm like, what do you mean? I already gave it to God. Like, he's going to take care of it. Do you feel like it kind of, in a way, it, it humanized and it gave, it gave you a sense of our own mortality? And yes. and the fact that like you need to like every yes. day, every hour that I have, I need to I need to spend it. I, I don't need to waste it. I need to make sure that I'm doing something yes. that one impacts lives, brings followers to Jesus. You feel like that kind of totally evolved, like your your thinking as a you know, mid twenties? Yes. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, when you're in your twenties and your thirties, you're not thinking about dying. At least I hope you're not. Not mm-hmm. call me. We'll talk about it. Um, but you're not <laughs> thinking about your last days on this earth. But I can't tell you how many papers I signed asking if I had a living will. I mean, every treatment I went under, every surgery, I had to think about: Do I have a will? Do I have life insurance? Do I have everything in order? I mean, as a twenty-five-year-old. But I woke up. I feel good. I can walk down the hallway without losing my breath. What work can I do for the kingdom and how can I help other people who are experiencing different cancers in their life? And I'm not talking about the sickness cancer. I'm not talking about the disease. I'm talking about folks who are battling anxiety, depression, the ones who made a bad decision in their job, the ones who are battling with debt or battling with a divorce or trouble with a friend. How can I just be a real human to a real human and listen to their stories and try to untangle the knot that they've got themselves in? Yeah, absolutely. That I think that's huge because I mean, you look at it from the prism of, I mean, you you got the death sentence, mm-hmm. you know, and and while others are yes are battling things, you know, like you're looking at it from that that point of view, like hey there's a point and I'm not going to be here. Like, mm-hmm. and, and we all, we all know that that is true, but it's, yeah. it's, it's actually grasping that and actually looking at that. And then, you know, like there's gotta be something that, that just inspired you or triggered you to, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I know faith is huge, but just to, mm-hmm. to take this cancer on head on, you know, like how, what, yeah. what just triggered and you're like, you know what, like, I'm not throwing myself a pity party mm-hmm. and we're, we're going and we're going to take it down. 
I think uh, this is another reason why I love the ag industry. I saw, I saw hope in the good seasons. I saw hope in the good years. And I, I was living like my dream life. I was working for a congressman. I had just started dating this incredible guy. I was making friends. My social calendar was full. And I, I had hope for that again. And hope, I hate the word hope and cancer because you, it's so, it's so cheesy now, right? It's a powerful word. It is a powerful word. It's so cheesy now, but I had hope for the good years. I had hope for the good crops. I had hope for, you know, $9 corn, whatever. I had hope for those years. Um, and that is what carried me through. And I think when, you know, kind of changing it to the foundation, how, God made a purpose out of my problem in the foundation. I saw a community that was in so much pain. And mm-hmm. I and I feel so I feel a little selfish because I, I felt those feelings, but I had people to pull me out. I had a sure. whole community pulling me out of the trenches. There are young people my age who don't have a community of faith, who don't have family, who don't have friends, who don't have the financial means to mm-hmm. be pulled out of the trenches. And these people are turning to drugs and alcohol and things that are just hurting them even more. And pulling them, right. Because they're trying to find something to grasp onto. And mm-hmm. so at first it was like, okay, it's the hopeful years. It's, it's the good years. It's the good crops. And then the, the second piece of it, whenever I, I got into treatment and God planted this seed in my head, it was okay. Now, it's for those who are like me who are hurting. How can we, sure. I got to get better so we can help them. Sure. Are you, uh, do you feel like this, this, uh, you know, this journey that you've been on uh, has impacted you with your relationships? I mean, both personally and professionally. I mean, do you have a different perspective, yeah. I guess, when you walk in the room? Totally. Let me give you a, a really good story. Um, so I, I've been so timid about crossing lines personally and professionally. I always have. I've always done a good job of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because of this experience, I've learned that, yes, you should separate the two, 100%. But you can't be a healthy professional if you don't balance out your personal life with your career and with your work. You, It's a mental health concept. Like You have to be able to listen to yourself personally and listen to yourself professionally and know what you need. Right. And so I've been struggling with that, especially with building this foundation. That's a personal endeavor. It has nothing to do with my career. And I'm a very career driven person. That's a tough time for me. And I called my friend Ryan the other day, he does industry relations for an ad company. And I called him, I'm like, you know, Ryan, I'm not, I'm not sure how to approach my professional network about the foundation. Like I, I want to go to companies and groups and ask them to partner with us, but I, I don't, I don't want to overstep. And he said, the ad community is family. Mm-hmm. And he said, you, you can go, you know, this firsthand, you can go to anyone in this community, tell them what's going on professionally or personally, and they're going to help you out. And by the end of the call, he made a, a really sizable donation to the foundation. And I was like, oh my gosh, Ron, thank you so much. And he's like, don't <laughs> thank me. He's like, we're family and this is what family does. Absolutely. And so I think for me, the biggest takeaway of relationships is that 
we're all human, no matter what our title and position are, we're all human and we all face troubles in our lives. And we have got to get out of the stigma that we can't approach someone human to human about our issues. I'm able to talk to any of my team members. I'm not able to talk to any of my growers and say, you know, they check in on me and they're like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And I, I feel confident that I can tell them I'm doing great. And here's how the Lord has blessed me. And that's how humans to humans are supposed to work. Somewhere between Adam and Eve to what we are today, we have forgotten that. Sure. Um, and so I'm so thankful to the ag community. I'm so grateful to my growers and, and my teammates for just letting me blur those lines a little bit and care more about, you know, care about my professional life as much as they care about my professional life. So you've got this foundation that you've developed, you know, you're balancing that, you're balancing corn growers uh, position that you, you carry. Um, you've got a lot going on for a young person. I mean, really like to, to navigate and to balance these, uh, all the things that you're, you're taking care of. I mean, it's just to me, like it, it's really to be as young as you are from a relationship standpoint. Like, I think that's, that's a crucial piece. And I think maybe your perspective has given you, um, the ability to open those doors faster than maybe mm-hmm. someone that's not gone through something like that. I just, I think that's, that's probably one of those untold benefits that you've received um, in this. I mean, in this yeah. season, like you said, a, a season of darkness that uh, yeah. now you're, you're in the light. I used to be one of those people that like, you know, everything happens for a reason. I used mm-hmm. to be one of those people and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a hundred percent nothing wrong with that. I've changed my thinking on that too. Everything happens for a reason if you let it. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is we live in an imperfect world and bad things are going to happen. You're going to get a flat tire. You're going to get cancer. You're going to have an argument with your spouse. Something's going to happen. We live yep. in an imperfect world. But unless you have the vigor and the initiative to say, okay, I'm going to take this mess and make it into my mission. I'm going to let this be a testimony instead of a test. If you don't take that initiative, then things are just going to happen to you. They're just going to happen. And you can have some mystical, you know, oh man, I got a flat tire on the way to Burger King because I could have gotten wrecked. You could have, you could, and that's fine. But sometimes crappy things just happen. They just happen. And it is your job and your prerogative to do something about it. Sadie, I've I've got a question for you. So if, if, If a close friend of mine gets diagnosed with cancer, how do I approach mm-hmm. that? Obviously, you care you care for these people. You do. Yeah. But that's it's like you're walking on eggshells. They've gotten this bad news and I don't want to mm-hmm. send them down the wrong path or or feel worse than they already feel. Uh what is what what would you say to our listeners? Yeah. I don't know if this is good or bad advice, but this is how I would want people to treat me. Overstep. Overstep. I mean, play jump rope with those boundaries because if that friend is anything like me they don't want to ask for help and they don't and and they don't and and when you're when you're so sick and you're in the trenches you don't even think about what you need you really don't like you i taxes my god if i did not have (laughs) my friends and my family to do my taxes last year i would be in jail i mean frankly and so i mean play jump rope with those boundaries and that's probably bad advice i don't care these folks i mean when you you are struck with something as 
evil and and conniving and as sophisticated as a as a oppressor as cancer i mean cancer is smart i mean it is sneakily smart when you are approached with that you need someone to just come in and and do your laundry make you a warm meal pay your lot bill that month take care of your Mm -hmm. kids i mean help with harvest i mean you you pick you need someone to do that even if you don't realize it sure did you, I mean, during this whole process, did you go into any kind of like a holistic co- complementary therapies that contributed to your overall well-being? Yeah, I've always think that mental health is important. Mental health is important. I will mm-hmm. put that on my gravestone. <laughs> go see a therapist. Um, and I had really invested in counseling before I got cancer because I was juggling a lot. I wanted to go back to school. And I was like, I need to get myself straight before I take on anything else. Um, and I continued on with the therapist throughout um, my treatment. Had to, absolutely had to. A lot of medical professionals only care about your body. They only care about sure. getting getting you better, which is fair. It's cancer, okay? Let's yeah. focus on getting rid of that 100%. And I remember I my counselor had called the cancer center I was at. I was like, hey, do you have any recommendations for specific mental health counselors or sessions for people going through cancer? I go into my next doctor's appointment and my doctor looks at me and he, he's real rigid. And I mean, by the time we were done with the cancer, it was so fun. We, we can just pile out now, but that's because <laughs> cancer's gone. But he, he came in, he, he's so rigid. He said, how are you mentally? And I'm like, I'm good, sir. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, we just got a call from your therapist asking about specific materials for you. And I'm like, yeah, I asked for it because it's important. He's like, but you're okay. I'm like, other than having cancer. Yes, I am. Okay, sir. (laughs) I just need, I just would like to work on my mental health. And so, yes, but you have to make it your own initiative. Gotcha. So, how, I mean, how did you build a support system uh, and who played a crucial role in that journey for you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, first and foremost, I've got a big old dose of humility. If you want to be humble, just get cancer. I mean, that's so sick to say, but like I, I had to take a big swig of humility because I was a, I would do it myself. I would take care of it type of person. And whenever I let that guard down, People came out of the woodworks. I mean, they really did. And they respected so much. And this is for somebody listening. I know because I, I know your listeners. It They respected so much that I began saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And whenever that happened, I mean, I my fridge was never empty. I always had a homemade meal sitting in my fridge, ready to eat. I always, I'm not... I always had someone who would be willing to go with me to doctor's appointments, take care of me, check in on me. My phone rung off the hook, just people checking in on me. And the way that I did that is I said that I can't do it on my own. And that's how you build a support system. And people really don't suck that much. Like, honestly, (laughs) there are people (laughs) who are willing to help that you don't even know. And I'll end this answer with a story. Whenever I started conceptualizing the foundation, 
I was like, God, how am I supposed to do this? I got bills and I don't care to say this. I, I don't care to be open about yeah. this at all. I'm over $10,000 in debt from just trying to stay alive. It's ridiculous. So I'm over $10,000 in debt. And God said, oh, you're going to raise money for other people to get better. And I'm like, respectfully, I need to be like door dashing or Ubering or I need a side need hustle. Something. I got bills, right? Uh-huh. And God was like, okay, watch this. So I went and I have a coffee with my pastor's wife about the idea. And, we're, and before we even get started, she hands me a check. And there was someone from the church who, and I still to this day don't know who it was, someone from the church wanted to help take care of my bills. And if I would have stayed quiet, if I wouldn't have asked for help, if I wouldn't have shared my story, if I wouldn't have, and I'm not saying you have to blast your problems all over Facebook. It's not what I'm sure, saying. Sure. But if I was not obedient to God and sharing what he put on my heart to share, I wouldn't have the community. I wouldn't have the help. I wouldn't have a check. I'm not saying that's why you should do things, but I wouldn't have had the resources I needed to get through this challenge with cancer. I wouldn't have had it. And it all boils down to humility. You, you lost I and gained we. And I think that's a yeah. hard concept for all of us, you know, to, to realize. We, uh, we see ourselves as the star of the role for the, the movie, and we may be a support character. You have definitely gone through a lot um, at 26. Yeah. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a lot of years to impact a lot of people. Yeah. We're nearing the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, we've got listeners all over. Um, and, and the odds are that one of us is going to have cancer or be diagnosed mm-hmm. in our lifetime. So yeah. if, you know, with our listeners, if they get that fearful diagnosis uh, like yours, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? My advice would be... God, I have a lot of advice. Uh, but my biggest piece of advice would be to allow others in. And I know we just went on this rampage about humility, but I didn't want to tell anybody. It took me a month mm-hmm. to, and you don't, and, and, and hear me out, like you don't have to be public with it. You don't. That is something that God put on my heart. God made me break out of my shell and, and share my weaknesses. It, it, and it has, has helped build a beautiful community of folks who are willing, you know, to talk about the hard stuff. But you have to be willing to let people help. You have to be able to let people in. There's going to come a day. I mentioned this before. There's going to come a day when you can't vacuum your bedroom. There's going to come a day when you can't make it to the grocery store to buy groceries. And and you have to be willing to allow people to lock arms with you. And that and that is that is what helped me get through this. No doubt in my mind. And don't put your trust in the roaches. Find something that is outside of this earth and this world because the earth will always fail you. But if you have faith in something bigger, then you'll get through it. You'll get through it. Awesome. I, I want to thank you for, for being there with us today. The corn growers, they are lucky to have you uh, in oh. as part of their <laughs> association. Um, guys, check out the the 118 Foundation. Uh, check it out and and see if you can you can make a donation and help help Sadie out with what her mission and her work is. 
Um, I think this is a definitely an underserved population. And so that is it for today's Your Ag Empire podcast. You can find us across social media at Your Ag Empire. If you feel so inclined, give us a review wherever you're streaming or visit youragempire.com to visit our show notes. Be good or be good at it.